Happy Friday, everyone. Welcome into another edition of Final Whistle. As always, I'm your host, Blaine Spencer. We're going to be talking about some big news that's happening that's happened this week. We're going to be recapping a little bit of the top picks that went in the NBA draft. Some huge news that has happened in the NBA as well on uh, either trades or free agency or other big injury news. Then we're going to transition into some Thursday night football discussing Seattle's 28-21 victory over the Arizona Cardinals, which I told you on Tuesday, minus three Seattle. So that connected there for us. So we got a little bit of a good start going into this weekend. And you know it's Friday, so I got my lock it in six picks, my three college football and three NFL locks. So let's get started. Again, let's talk about what has happened in the NBA draft. We're going to be talking about what transpired. I actually, in my NBA mock draft on Tuesday, ended up getting the first three selections right, and then my mock draft kind of fell apart <laughs> once the Chicago Bulls selected it for. But as predicted, uh, Anthony Edwards went number one, James Wiseman number two, and LaMelo Ball number three. And respectively, the Timberwolves were selected first, the Warriors second, and the Charlotte Hornets third. So what, again, what are my impersonations on those top three uh, picks? And what are my opinions on those three picks? Uh, Edwards, I think he was the correct player to select there at number one. Complete score, he can score in all three phasing to the rim. He's got a mid-range as well as he can sh pull up from anywhere in the gym. I think one of the reasons that everyone had a little bit of their doubts is whether he's uh, fully into playing basketball. And he said that um, in his one of his interviews that he doesn't, he can't watch it. So it's a little unique there to see how uh, how committed is he really. But he's a perfect fit for Minnesota. You got D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns already set up there. And you need someone who could just go get a bucket and who can play off the ball in a variety of ways. He's just a pure scorer. And he's I think he's going to have a really good impact in Minnesota. Uh, again, it's all whether or not he's going to buy in fully and be able to score the ball. Secondly, James Wiseman. Ended up going to the Warriors. Again, that was the perfect selection for me as a Warriors fan and as a uh, in a GM or Warriors organization mindset. You need a big man who could uh, play defense as well as who can uh, play through the rim on both sides, have a little bit of an inside game. Wiseman has that. Yes, he hasn't played really since high school, only playing three games at Memphis before he opted out to declare for the draft because of all of his NCAA uh, issues that he was having with his eligibility. But I think he was a perfect fit. Warriors needed a center. Who knows whether or not he's going to become a trade asset or not. But I think he was a, the perfect fit and he, was, he filled the need that the Warriors were looking for. And then for the Charlotte Hornets, at that point, you take the last one of the three who was the best available, um, Melo Ball. I think Charlotte personally had Ball as their top pick uh, from what I was hearing. Mel Ball was the top one on their board, regardless in comparison to the top three guys. Uh, you're going to have a guard that's going to, a 6'7 guard who can, has a lot of versatility. He's going to have the ball in his hands. He's a great passer. He has the ball on a string. And he's, he's already uh, had the biggest impact on uh, revenue uh, interest for the Charlotte Hornets. You, they've saw the biggest ticket interest in regarding sales, whether or not they're going to have fans or uh, of course, with COVID, but still, the Charlotte Hornets have turned their little uh, turned them into a little bit of a box office moment by taking one of the uh, Lamelo Ball there, and with Devontae Graham and Terry Rozier, 
I think you got some shooters around him along with uh, P.J. Washington, a nice big man, and another uh, Miles rim runner in Miles Bridges, who's a human highlight reel as well. So I think Charlotte has a couple good pieces now working for them. That's going to be a great selection. And then my biggest surprise of the draft was Tyrese Halliburton falling all the way to 12. He fell to the Sacramento Kings. Again, as I mentioned on Tuesday, Bogdan Bogdanovich is traded, which that has now been rescinded for some reason. The NBA is looking into that, why uh, the trade uh, sign and trade did not go through. Uh, potential issues uh, in some argument, whether it was on Bogdanovich's end within the Kings or the Bucks sides. So that's going to be looked at because Bogdanovich is now currently a restricted free agent after the sign and trade did not go through. So you filled a knee there in Halliburton. I think he was probably the safest pick in this draft, and he fell from being probably the the number four player on the board. Some people actually had them him higher, as and he's you know he's he's got the potential of being a really good player in this league. He can play both ends. He's got a great wingspan. He knows how to pass. He can shoot, and he fell all the way to the Sacramento Kings at 12, and they got an absolute steal in him. But um, in other news, as I am from uh, from Seton Hall University, I did want to mention uh, these two uh, people getting signed. Uh, Miles Powell has been signed by the New York Knicks after going undrafted, who many people gave him a second-round grade, but he slipped a lot that more than people thought. And then also Romeo Gill, he signed on a uh, contract with the Utah Jazz. So congratulations to them. I did just want to slide that in there, give Seton Hall a little bit of a shout there as a Seton Hall alum. Uh, in other news, there were some uh, also interesting uh, selections. Uh, you had Patrick Williams go four, which was uh, a little high in my opinion. I thought it was going to be, a, I can't say his name, a vidit. Um, I'm just not going to try. I'm, I'm going to botch it. But Patrick Williams going all the way to four. He was a bench player, and he was selected fourth overall. I know he was showing a lot of potential in workouts, and he had a great uh, he's a great ceiling, so he was definitely the biggest uh, surprise there. And then, again, Halliburton falling was another surprise. But let's now transition to some bigger news. Um, again, going back to the Warriors, we knew uh, going into the draft that Klay Thompson had suffered a potential catastrophic injury uh, playing pickup down in Los Angeles, and it was confirmed as he ruptured his Achilles, and he will now be out for the 2020 2021 season which is extremely bad news he was already recovering from a left ACL injury and was hoping to be back and now he's suffered a right Achilles injury so on separate legs a very unfortunate scene to events I'm heartbroken as a Warriors fan and the whole NBA is heartbroken he's a great guy he's one of the best two-way players in the league and arguably a top five one of the top five greatest shooters uh, in in NBA history and now you're going to be uh, one that takes away probably the Warriors' chances of having any chance to compete for the title. They did just make a trade for Kelly Oubre to fill that void. That happened yet last night. And trying All the details are trying to be finalized today. So that was also an intriguing moment of how that was happening. Another big move that happened on draft night was Ricky Rubio being traded from, being traded, uh, to from Oklahoma City as part of the Chris Paul package. Now he's back in Minnesota to be a prototypical point guard to help out the Timberwolves there. So Minnesota made some quality moves, bringing Rubio back. The Warriors suffered some a setback with the whole 
Clay Thompson injury. All, all we can do is hope for a speedy recovery and hope he gets well soon, as well as then bringing in Kelly Oubre to help try and fill that void, which hopefully he is a but he's a he's a very streaky scorer. So hopefully with uh, under Warriors Steve Kerr and Mike Brown, he they, he can mold into a a very solid player. So those are some big storylines that has happened, especially in the NBA. So now transitioning to the NFL, let's take a look here. What happened last night? The Seattle Seahawks took down the Arizona Cardinals 28-21. As a reminder, again, I said minus three Seattle, and they ended up pulling that out for me, uh, winning by seven. Uh, relatively, uh, in R Russell Wilson standards this year, it was a relatively average game for him, but he managed the ball, and Seattle took a different uh, page out of their book, and they used, really ran the ball, and the defense actually showed up this week. Uh which was unique. Russell Wilson, 23 of 28, 197 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, but the bigger storyline is think how much they pushed themselves to run the football. Uh, I'm trying to pull up the stats here. Uh, 347 total yards, 182 passing, 165 on the ground. They're absolutely balanced. And I think that's what Seattle needs to look at moving forward, being a more balanced team, which will help take some of the pressure off of Russell Wilson. Yes, he is an absolute stud. He's probably one of the top two candidates for the MVP, and he would probably be my pick if Seattle ends up winning out the rest of their games, going 13-3. and 100%. He's been the best player on the field, and if Seattle didn't have him, they probably would be in a horrible situation. So, again, all kudos to Seattle's, Seattle trying to make a game plan for them to be successful, and they did that. The defense showed up held uh, the Arizona Cardinals relatively in check. Uh, they only had 314 two, uh, yards, uh, 257 through the air for Kyler Murray. And yet, they were able to control the game. They uh, held 35 minutes of the possession for Seattle. And it was a very, all in all, a very solid day. Murray, again, 29-42, 269, two scores. So it was, you could see that uh, especially, I didn't think Arizona was going to be able to back up the miraculous DeAndre Hopkins catch they ma he made on Sunday on their Hail Mary prayer to beat Buffalo. I thought this was m mandatory must-win for Seattle to get back on track after being bullied by the LA Rams. And they were able to showcase themselves containing Kyler Murray enough, especially his with his legs, forcing him to only be a passer, even though he is a very good passer. They were able to maintain that and then be very successful on that note to be uh, a part of getting this victory and putting themselves back on top of the NFC West. And with L.A. playing Tampa Bay uh, on Monday night, they may be in sole possession of first place uh, after the end of this week. So, all in all, very solid effort. That was put on by the Seattle Seahawks and Russell Wilson. In order for them to be successful, they have to. They kind of found an identity where they can control the game, keep their defense off the field a little bit more, and their defense kind of rose to the occasion this week. And I think having Jamal Adams finally start to integrate his personality into this defense, the acquisition of Carlos Dunlap from Cincinnati was also a huge 
moment for them, which allowed them to get a little bit more of a pass rush as well. So since that was Seattle's issue, they were unable to get pressure on the quarterback so far all season, and their secondary was being hung out to dry because of it. But all in all, Seattle 28-21. Again, I had Seattle as my favorite still to win the NFC West. Uh, and I still do. Their schedule gets really easy. I think they have three NFC East teams now in their next four games. They have the Eagles, Giants, and Washington. So, And then I believe they have another un- below average football team. And they have the Jets. Yeah, they have the Jets. So I'd be shocked if they don't go 4-0 in this next four games. So, All in all, solid stone by Seattle. Arizona, they still have a little bit to work on. They also have a tough schedule moving forward, so we'll see where what goes from there from them. I know I also said I thought they were a year away, but they still have a great chance of being a wild card team this year. Let's see if how they're able to be able to respond and bounce back. So let's transition to my lock it in section of uh, my Friday edition of Final Whistle. Here we're gonna give you my lock it in picks, my six picks that are going to win you some money. Again, I went 4-2 and two last weekend, so that means we're making money. We're doing great this so far. Let's try and at least do 4-2 and two and maybe do even better. The goal is always to go 6-0, and oh, but always you want to make sure that you're at minimum 500 or better. Make sure that you guys are at least maintaining or making money. So let's do this. Without further ado, lock it in. Here we go. Let's start in college football. As always, you know we have First off, I have Iowa State minus 11 versus Kansas State. Kansas State has been very inconsistent so far this year. I don't know what I've – actually, both teams have been a little bit inconsistent. Iowa State was supposed to be a real contender uh, for a dark horse as a college football playoff spot, but now they're sitting atop of the Big 12 standings at the moment, and I think this is a very big statement game for them. Again, it's at home in Ames, Iowa. They're absolutely brutal to beat. At home, it is 11 points, but I Kansas State hasn't shown me anything the past couple weeks that they're going to be anything short of competitive. They were relatively mediocre. They were abysmal against West Virginia when West Virginia blew them out, and they were a li- they were okay against Oklahoma State, but I wasn't really sold on them. They haven't really shown any offensive firepower uh, these past couple weeks, so. And I love Brock Purdy. I know he's been a very inconsistent quarterback this year, but he is an absolute stud. And Matt Campbell is a very good coach, especially at home. And this is a great opportunity for Iowa State to put a stamp themselves into an opportunity to play for the Big 12 championship. So I like Iowa State there, minus 11. Staying in the Big 12, Oklahoma State is getting 7.5 versus Oklahoma and Bedlam. And I got to take the 7.5, unless... This, this game looks like it's going to – Bedlam is always close. It's always very competitive, and I believe in Oklahoma State's defense. Uh, Spencer Radler has definitely improved uh, after being benched uh, three or four weeks ago, and he's coming back in has showcased his ability to be a very good quarterback in the years to come. Oklahoma is still very young, and I think Oklahoma State has that veteran presence, and Spencer Sanders at quarterback, Chuba Hubbard, and then Tyler Wallace on the outside. I got the, they got that three-headed monster there. And Oklahoma State's defense is legit. They have been the hands down the best defense in the Big 12. And in the Big 12, it's a, if you can break serve, you're going to win the football games. And I think Oklahoma's defense still has a long way to go. 
and Oklahoma State's defense knows how to break serve multiple times. I don't know if Oklahoma's defense can break serve as many times as Oklahoma State's defense will. So I want to take the Cowboys plus 7.5. And, and if I was even stretching that out, I would honestly take the Cowboys to win upright. That's unless this is got this is a game that the experts must know something that I don't know cuz 7.5 is way too high for a game in Bedlam that's in for the game at Bedlam. And then lastly, we're going to transition here to I got a little bit of a Pac-12 here game. We have the Stanford Cardinal minus three and a half at home versus Washington State. Uh, Stanford gotten off to a rocky start the past uh, going 0-2. They've lost to Oregon against Oregon. Their quarterback, David Mills, was unable to play due to uh, COVID uh, regulations. And then the second week he returned and they ended up losing to a Colorado team that has actually been relatively surprising uh, for everyone. Uh, that we're there 2-0 now. But Wazoo, 1-1 so far. Again, they also lost to Oregon last week. I just don't know what I'm getting out of Washington State at the moment. And Stanford is a very good – I don't know if – Stanford's a better football team. And three and a half at home, I think they're going to show some things here. And they need to get back on track quickly because Stanford, I think, has a, still has a decent chance of being having a very good season. So – Again, here, I want to take the Stanford Cardinal minus three and a half. That's a very late game, 7.30 Pacific time, 10.30 Eastern. So some late night, a late night pick there, taking the Cardinal minus three and a half. All right, now transition to the – so again, let's just run through those again before I transition to the NFL. Iowa State minus 11, Oklahoma State plus seven and a half versus Oklahoma, Stanford minus three and a half versus Washington State, and against the Iowa State 11 is versus Kansas State. All right, so let's transition to the NFL here. We got three three more games. So let's start off with New Orleans, minus three and a half versus Atlanta. I know the whole Drew Brees injury, he's going to be out for a significant amount of time with his broken ribs and a punctured lung, or fractured ribs, excuse me, and a punctured lung. But news Kate broke this morning, actually, that Taysom Hill will be getting the start, which I thought was very unique. Because a lot of everyone in the media thought Jameis was get, Winston was going to get his opportunity here, and they ended up going with Taysom Hill anyway. So I think this is uh, an opportunity to showcase Taysom Hill's ability. If you didn't see him in college, he was an absolute stud at BYU. He did have a little bit of injury problems, which is probably why not many people get to watch him as well as he played uh, on the West Coast late games. So if you didn't see him in college, he's got a lot of ability. And you've seen in the NFL his versatility at playing wide receiver, running back, the wild card, wildcat quarterback. But again, Sean Payton has thought that he is the future in New Orleans. He said that at the beginning of the year that he could potentially be the starter in the future. So they're going to give him his opportunity this week. And I just don't know what I'm getting out of Atlanta from week to week. I just don't know. I mean, I took them. I took. I went against them on Thursday Night Football with Carolina, and they ended up surprising me. Game is in New Orleans, so I think that's going to be play a good, decent factor there. So I'm going to take the Saints at minus three and a half, and I think Taysom Hill is going to surprise the world this weekend and have a very good performance. And you're going to see a lot of run heavy. You're going to see a very different Saints offense. So maybe a lot of read action, uh, read option. Sorry, not read action. Read option, RPOs, quick passes. You're going to see a, a very unique offense here. 
that's going to be showcased by Sean Payton and Taysom Hill. But I also, I still want to trust the Saints because I don't know what I'm getting from the Atlanta Falcons from on a week-to-week basis. Secondly, uh, we're going to transition to uh, Green Bay Packers plus one and a half versus Indianapolis. Uh, I'm taking the Green Bay here because I that bad man that is Aaron Rodgers. I love doing that for my, for my Stephen A. Smith bad man. Sorry, I get carried away sometimes. But again, loves Green Bay here. Uh, Devontae Adams coming back has been an absolute stud for the Packers, as well as Aaron Rodgers is definitely in that MVP conversation with Wilson and Mahomes. So we're going to see a very good Green Bay team. And I, again, with the Colts, I just don't know what you're getting on a week-to-week basis with Phillip Rivers just because he's just been very inconsistent this year. And the Colts team in a, as a whole kind of play – I don't know – they play down on one week, then they rise to the occasion the next week. Just too inconsistent as a team at the moment. But I like Green Bay, plus one and a half there. Then lastly, I'm taking Detroit, minus two and a half versus Carolina. Uh, I don't know if Teddy Bridgewater is going to play yet. That decision is yet to be made with after he was taken out late of the game with a apparent knee injury against Tampa Bay. Christian McCaffrey has already been declared out. Detroit... Found a way to win after blowing a 21-point lead against Washington. Uh, Washington tied the game up late last week, and then Matthew Stafford took them down the field, and then Matt Prater hit a 59-yard field goal. Especially if Bridgewater doesn't play, the 2.5 will definitely rise. So I would take advantage of that now. And I do like what I'm seeing from Detroit, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Matthew Stafford has been very solid these past couple weeks. Uh, Marvin Jones, Marvin Hall very solid wide receivers. Uh, it doesn't look like Kenny Galladay will play for Detroit, but still they have a lot of offensive talent. And if DeAndre Swift uh, gets through concussion protocol either today or tomorrow, he's been a very solid running back this season as a runner and a pass catcher. So I'm going to take Detroit there minus two and a half. So again, my three picks for the NFL, Detroit minus two and a half versus Carolina, Green Bay plus one and a half versus the Colts, New Orleans minus three and a half versus Atlanta. So, a little bit of a shorter episode this Friday, but again, welcome. Thanks for tuning in for to another edition of Final Whistle. As always, I'm your host Blaine Spencer. Enjoy your weekend, everyone. Hopefully, I'm making you guys some money. Have a great day.